Good morning. How are you doing? Is everybody doing well this morning? Yeah. Yeah, for me, it was an eventful morning coming in. Didn't realize there was ice on the road. And your brakes don't work when there's ice. And stop signs don't work either when there's ice. <laughs> Praise God, it became a yop instead of a stop. And, uh, but this morning was a, a venture coming in early this morning. I'm enjoying this new theme that if we delight in the Lord, that he will give us the desires of our hearts. When we line up our love for him, then our desires line up with him too. And so hopefully over the next weeks as we unpack this theme, that we truly do find our strength and our joy in the Lord and we walk with him. And last week I said this, and it's good repeating, we do suffer from play deprivation, nature deficit disorder, all depletion, compassion fatigue, imagination suppression, and much more as a result of that We suffer from God deprivation, too, because that is where we meet him. And so this morning, we're going to try to see what we can find in Christ and God in creation and for us to delight in his creation. The Bible has all kinds of verses, the delight in his works. God delights in his creation. And so how can we do that? So I'm going to ask you to do something here at the beginning just for a few moments. I'm going to ask you to turn your phones over, sit on your phone, put it in your pocket, just put it away for just a few moments, and don't be distracted. The world won't fall, and and it won't be disrupted if you don't have your phone just for a few moments. But I want you to take in just the beauty and grandeur and majesty of God's creation. So phones away, in your pockets hidden, and just take God's creation in. Take a look at this.
after watching that, how do you feel right now? Like, give me a pillow and feel relaxed just taking in God's creation. We rush from home to church. We got to get our coffee or we can't sit down. We run up the steps. We run through the parking lot. We run, run, run. And all the while, we don't take in all that God has already done this morning. How many of you just took time to just look outside and take a look at creation? How many of you pulled away and watched the early morning dawn and take in creation? God speaks loudly and clearly through his creation. And my hope is this today. My hope is that you're affirmed, you're challenged, you're convicted to see God and his grandeur in creation all through the Bible. It speaks about his works. All through the book of Psalm, you will see Psalm after Psalm after Psalm after Psalm talking about God and his creation. David had a lot to say about his creation. Grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. And let's read Psalm chapter 8 verses 1 through 9. Just read the whole chapter and I ask you to stand. Would you stand with me as we read God's word out loud? Please stand. And let's read Psalm chapter 8 verses 1 through 9. Psalm 8 verses 1 through 9. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You may have a seat. Creation, God's creation, helps us to think magnificently about our great God. You cannot look at creation. You cannot explore the grandeur of God's creation without in some form or fashion being blown away by it. In fact, the psalmist says in the end of verse 1, you have set your glory in the heavens. Your creation points us to your power and even gives us attention to the detail of our God. God's creation is perfectly fine-tuned. He is the weatherman. He is the one who holds creation in place. In fact, in Psalm chapter 111 and verse 2, just listen to this. The psalmist would later say this about God's creation. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered, it says, by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds. You see, when we get lost in the awe and wonder of God, 
we should stop right there and worship Him. Not the object that you're looking at, but God Himself. God's works are an expression of His glory. And so the psalmist says here, you have set your glory in the heavens. We observe, we see, and we see the glory and the handiwork of God. We see the finger work of God. Literally it says, His fingers put it together. And it says, even from the mouse and infants that, that you make power and strength come from them. And not only can He create what we would say nature, but he created human beings, and even the weakest of the weakest, he can use the strength of himself through the weak to overcome their enemies. God's work are expression of his glory. If the works of his hands cause us to delight and are an expression of his grandeur, majesty, creativity, and nature, then what must God be like in heaven? In other words, God, if you made all that with your fingers, just with your fingers, what else can you do? What else can be done by you? If you're capable of doing that, then imagine what you can do for me. God builds and makes and creates so much, just even with his fingers. One of the major reasons you and I lack faith and joy is because our view of God is too small. That's why we are called to magnify God. When we say magnify God, do you even know what that means? It's a term that we don't use much anymore. Magnify our God. What does it mean to magnify? How can you and I magnify our God? When you look at something with a magnifying glass or binoculars or telescope, you are not just making something bigger you're getting a clearer picture and closer look at the intricacies and beauty of that thing. And the best way to magnify God is to get a close look at his creation. Because when we look at it, we're able to see him in his intricate details and what he was able to speak into existence, even with his hands. I have a really good pair of binoculars. They're Vortex, and there's a lifetime guarantee on them. And one of the primary reasons I have those is so that I can see clearly creation and animals. And when I look through these binoculars, I can look out at creation. I can look out at animals. I can see trees. And I can see animals from a distance. Not only does it make them bigger, but I can see more clearly the details about the land, about the animal. And so literally the picture is we can magnify God. And the way we do it is to get a closer look at his creation. And the way we magnify him is say, wow, look what God made. Look what he's put into play. Wow, look at the stars. It's us looking out at the grandeur and majesty what he's created. And it literally magnifies God. Let me ask the question. Just answer this within your heart. Do you think magnificently about God? Or you clarify it or justify him in some way? How big is your God? The bigger your God becomes to you, the smaller your problems are. Because when you place him in front of anything else, everything is shut out. And you begin to realize what he can do and what he has done. That that problem in your life, that adverse situation that you are facing, seems so small compared to the grandeur of our God. What I'm saying is this, that when your all of God begins to wane, then your faith will too. So we must 
pull back. We must restore the wonder and awe of God so that our faith explodes on the scene. You show me someone that delights in the works of God and creation, and I will show you a person who magnifies him with praise. Nature deficit disorder leads to God deprivation in our lives. God becomes bigger. God becomes clearer than all our problems. Turn back to Genesis 1, and I just want to show you something in the creation account that really is just fantastic the way God saw his creation. Look at Genesis. Please turn back to Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to just follow along with me. I want to show you. Look at verse 3 it says. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God, read with me verse 4. God saw that the light was what? Good. Now move down. Move down with me. As we just walk through his creation. Verse 10 says, God called the dry ground land. And the, ga- and, and the gathered waters he called seas. Read with him. What's it say? And God, what? Saw that it was good. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. Read with me. And God saw that it was good. Look up to verse 17. God set them into the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. To govern the day and night. And to separate light from darkness. Read with me. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 21. So God created the great creatures of the sea. And every living thing which the water teems and the moves about in it. According to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. Read with me. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 25. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. Read with me. And God saw that it was good. Now, move forward just a few verses. And look at verse 20, 29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Read with me. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And so every translation that I went to. It doesn't say that God said it was good. It says God saw it was good. God spoke it into creation, but he took time to look at it. And the Hebrew word literally means to gaze, to ponder, to study. And so there's this picture. God would create, and he would have a period of, we would say, 24 hours. And he would gaze. He would ponder. He would study. And after he gazed, pondered, and studied, what did he say? It is what? Good. Day after day after he created. And after all creation was done, he pulled away and it says God saw, he gazed. He pondered. He studied his whole of his creation. And he said, it is very good. If God took time to gaze, to ponder, and to study his creation. And after him looking at it said, it is good, then we of 
of all people who call ourselves Christ followers should take time to gaze and ponder his creation too. We live in an incredibly beautiful world full of color, variety, diversity, and change. God's grandeur is displayed in the sunset and the sunrise, in the starlit sky. His power is seen in the North Shore waves in Hawaii. They're noticed in tsunamis and tornadoes and typhoons. His color is found in lush forests and flowered gardens and intricate leaves that fall in the, the fall of the year. Creation screams his name and reveals that an intelligent designer is behind this incredible creation. And this author says, David says in Psalm 8, Your glory is enthroned or seen in the heavens. We should take time to ponder, to gaze, and delight in God's creation. And when we do, our God gets bigger and our problems get smaller. Why? Because we see if God can take his fingers and create that, what must he do and can he do for us? In fact, look at the psalmist's words here. And it says in verse 4, it says, What mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. It's just this picture of, Lord, we're nothing compared to you. In fact, we were created lower than the angels. And by the way, when we see him, we'll be above him in our glorified state. But it's this picture. God, you did all that. And you still are mindful of all the details of our lives. Not so much mindful, but you care about the details of our lives. God can do way more than what we can even fathom or imagine. Isaac Newton said this and built this in his study. And the story goes like this. The 17th century mathematician and philosopher Sir Isaac Newton had a mechanical replica of our solar system made in miniature. At its center was a large golden ball representing the sun. And revolving around it were smaller spheres attached at the end of rods of varying lengths. They represented, we understand, the planets. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and the other planets. These were all geared together by cogs and belts to make them move around the sun in perfect harmony. One day, the story says, as Newton was studying the model, an unbelieving friend stopped by for a visit. Marveling at the device and watching as the scientists made the heavenly bodies move in their orbits, the man exclaimed, my, Newton, what an exquisite thing you have there. Who made it for you? Without looking up, Sir Isaac replied, nobody. Nobody, his friend asked. That's right, I said nobody. All these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together. And wonder of wonders, by chance, they began revolving in their set orbits. And with perfect timing, his friend undoubtedly got the point. The existence of Newton's machine presupposed a maker. And even more so, the earth and its perfectly ordered solar system. It is impossible to look at creation. And to see how it's intricately put together. Without pulling away, there is an intelligent designer to that design. And we would say, it is God. And God speaks in creation to us. You see, the more we 
learn about God's creation, we soon see that the heavens do declare that God made them. For example, think about some of these things when it comes to science. Just the right level of CO2 is maintained naturally in the Earth's atmosphere. If the levels were higher, the heat would make life impossible. If the levels were lower than it is, plants would not be able to maintain photosynthesis. And we would not be able to breathe. Not only did God create the perfect atmosphere for life, but he created the perfect land masses. Scientists, smarter, way smarter than me, tell us that the earth has the perfect ocean levels. If the thickness of the earth's crust was greater, even just 10 more feet of matter added to the 8,000 mile diameter, then too much oxygen would be transferred to support life. If it were thinner, volcanic and tectonic activity would make life impossible. The earth turns once a day in just perfect manner so one doesn't burn up in the day or freeze at night. Even earthquakes, scientists will tell you, are necessary to sustain life as we know it. If the 23 degree tilt, actual tilt of the earth were altered slightly, life would be impossible. When God created and saw what he had made, he said, it is good and very good. We must take time to explore, to delight, and to witness, and gaze, and ponder, and study, and magnify God through his creation. Because when we see the details of life on earth, we have to say, there is a God behind this. We find him in creation. God's design had purpose to it too. I find it interesting that a contemporary of Einstein said this in regards to Christians and their view of God. Charles Misner, a contemporary of Einstein, said this. The design of the universe is very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, he said, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion. Although he strikes me as a basically very religious man, he must have looked at what the preacher said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined, and they were not just talking about the real thing. He said, when the Bible writers reflected on the great God of creation, they were caught up with incomparable majesty and magnificent and supreme significance and man's relative insignificance. And that's what David is saying here. God, in light of all you've done, you are still mindful of us and you care for us. You see, creation is a glimpse of his great power. That's what the writer is saying here. He's reminding us, and look down with me again. He says, you, in verse 5, says, you have made them a little lower, that's us, than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. Then he says, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put them under their feet. All the animals and flocks and herds of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When we consider 
all that God has done and who we are. In other words, when we know that there must be a creator that created all that and he takes time for us, sinful, miserable most of the time, grumpy a lot, hardly resonate any joy, and he's mindful and he cares and he speaks to us and says, I am God. Here I am. See me? This is a glimpse of what is something that's so much better. In fact, I made that with my fingers. What a beautiful picture David is painting for us here of the goodness and greatness of our God. And he says that, end of verse 1, he says, You have set your glory in the heavens. It's just a beautiful picture of who God is and what he's able to do. And in verse 3, it says, Through the praise of the children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. And when I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, who is mankind? Scientists tell us with the naked eye, one can see 5,000 stars. With a four-inch telescope, one can see two million stars. With a 200-inch mirror of the great observatories, one can see more than a billion stars. The universe is so big that if one were to travel at the speed of light, it would take 40 billion years to get to reach the edge of the universe. That's our God. Like, we should just be going, whoa! When's the last time you were just blown away by God's creation and the wonder of his creation? You see, if you lose your awe of God, then your faith will dwindle. And David has given us a picture here of the greatness of God. And he's telling consider all that God has done and what he's able to do. Think about this, though. Every time we explore, take a closer look at what he made in the beginning, we walk away more in awe and love with our God. Yet less and less time is spent in the outdoors. The shift is largely to technology. Now listen, technology can be used for good, but it shouldn't run our lives. Do you realize that the average American child is said to spend four to seven minutes a day in unstructured play outdoors and over seven hours a day in front of a screen. Four to seven minutes. Let me ask you, how much time do you spend in God's creation? Oh, you say, Pastor Jim, I do. I run from my workplace to my car. Don't we? We, we, we go shopping, and what do we do? We park our cars, and it's like, it's cold, and we bolt into the concrete, and we bolt out from the concrete into the cars. We rush from spot to spot. We drive three blocks to pick up our children. We idle in car lines at schools, bumper to bumper, and, and so that our kids don't have to walk 100 yards outside. What's wrong I'll tell you what's wrong. We're missing God. The wonder and awe of the living God. 
You see, when we get outside and experience fresh air, it also has brings incredible health benefits. Just listen to some of these facts given by very, very smart people. This is what even fresh air does for you. Fresh air is good for your digestive system. It increases the flow of oxygen, helping digest food more effectively. And it helps in losing weight. Anybody in for that? Bundle up and get outside. Secondly, fresh air helps improve blood pressure and heart rates. It actually lowers your blood pressure. It actually lowers your heart rate. Why? Because you find serenity and peace in creation. Thirdly, fresh air makes you happier, doctors tell us. The more fresh air, the more oxygen, which will increase serotonin, which is the happy hormone. Grumpy, get outside. Fourthly, fresh air strengthens your immune system. Oxygen increases white blood cells' ability to function properly by fighting and killing bacteria and germs. Get outside. Get your kids outside. Take a walk outside with your husband. Take a run outside with your wife. Get outside. Get outside. Fifthly, fresh air cleans your lungs. Your lungs dilate more from from having an increase in oxygen. So it cleanses your lungs. You release airborne toxins from your body when exhaling through your lungs. So when you walk outside, when you exercise, when you spend time out in creation, and when you take in the air and you exhale, toxins are leaving your body. Germs and bacteria are released from you. Sixthly, fresh air gives you more energy. And a sharper mind. More oxygen results in a greater brain functioning. Getting outside gives you vitamin D from the sun. Which helps our immune system. Strengthens, listen, strengthens your bones, your teeth, and more. Want a better smile? Get outside. But how much time do we spend in creation? Psalm 148 Turn there, Psalm 148. The psalmist gives another picture of creation. Just beautiful, beautiful picture. Psalm 148. Look at verses 3 to 7. 148, 3 to 7 says this. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining what? What's your Bible say? Stars. Praise Him, you highest what? Heavens. And you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established him forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from where? The earth, you great sea creatures, and all ocean depths. Even creation praises him. And you know why? Because there are some things hidden from man that have yet to be seen. Every once in a while, in fact, just recently, in August of this year, with the Hubble telescope, scientists thought they found the gateway to heaven. Because this Hubble telescope, look it up, it's fascinating, found this galaxy, had the shape of a cross, and they said, that must be the entrance to heaven. And I pondered that thought. 
Like, I think it thrills our God because there are things yet to be seen in creation that God has created. If it takes 40 billion years to get from the other side of the universe, there are things that mankind has never seen. And so it's, I, I, I suspect when God saw that, he probably said, well, finally you saw it. And you know what? They, that, that, that galaxy has been screaming out praise to me for thousands of years. So God says, even the stars, even creation, even trees that have yet to be seen are praising God. Why? Because some places mankind has never had his eyes on it. And God has created even his creation to scream praise, to magnify his name. It makes me want to explore so I can gaze and study and say, wow, God, look at that. And magnify his name. God's creation allows us to find the hidden treasures that he has built with his fingers. There are hundreds of billions of stars out there. And the Bible says he keeps track of them. In fact, Psalm 147.4 says he knows them by name. Some of you don't even know the names of your kids. Seriously, that's the age, what do you, it's like, Josh, Hannah, Hannah, Isaiah. I could shake your hand and five seconds later you could forget my name. You could meet someone today. You go out and you say, hey, my name's so and my name's Jim, what's your name? And by the time you've walked away, three seconds, you've already forgotten their name. Yet our God not only created Hundreds of billions of stars. He can point them out and he knows them by name. Hundreds of billions of stars. That's our God. And the Bible says not only that, he numbers the hairs on your head. He knows exactly, like, right? I got one less and he knows it. In fact, he knows the number of hairs on our heads. And Richard, he doesn't have trouble with yours. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> but our God is able. Like, listen, just pause and think about that. We just blow by stuff like that. Oh, he's God. Yeah, he is. And with his fingers, he created. And with his voice, he spoke creation into existence. And with his eyes, he paused in that 24-hour period, and he gazed, and he studied. And at the end of the day, he said, hey, that's really good. In fact, when's the last time you gazed or pondered or magnified God's creation? He not only holds everything together, but he sustains everything that is on planet earth. That not even a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from his will. Just think about that. This week I began exploring some of the rare creatures that are in our world. And I found this spider, a European spider. First time I've ever seen it. And for me, it was a time just to magnify God and say, wow, God, you're awesome. 
And this European spider lives at the bottom of lakes and water bases and breathes air in the water. It's the only spider that can do it. Watch this. It's the only arachnid known to live exclusively underwater. It has no fins or gills. But this amazing spider doesn't need them. It builds its very own submarine air supply. This bubble is its lifeline, its homemade scuba tank. To construct the bubble, this male swims to the surface and pops his butt into the air. Like the fishing spider, the air bubble around his abdomen allows him to breathe through his book lungs. This odd, crab-like swimmer collects several bubbles from the surface to create a large reservoir of oxygen. This is the spider's sanctuary, where it will feed and rest. Like, that's awesome! If you don't think that's awesome, then you're not breathing! It's got its own scuba tank! Everything. I was in tears as I watched that the first time. Because our God can create a spider that can breathe underwater. Everything created by him should be used to be pointed to him. We are not to worship the thing. Now hear me out. I don't worship the spider. We are not created to hug trees. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not created to sit on top of buildings and, and starve ourselves to death over it. They're meant to point to God. If we worship the thing, that's called idolatry. But when you see the grandeur and the majesty of our God, we can pull away and say, that must point to an intelligent designer, and it's God, and I praise him. When's the last time you've been out in creation and you were just taken back? This week when I was running, I, it's why I spend time outside. It, I connect with my God. It points me to him. And plus just good health. Like, like I, I want to be a healthy person, so I spend time. I bundle up, and you can bundle up too. But as I was running, I've been out a bunch of times this week. When I was running this week, I was running, and there was a squirrel that came across the path. I run in the woods and the trails. For me, I love seeing creation. And generally, squirrels are very skittish. If you've ever noticed a squirrel, they don't stay around. So, so I stopped, and he stopped. <laughs> and I walked near him, and he stayed still. And I got from here to I mean, this far away. They just looked at me, and I looked at him, and I wasn't worshiping the dumb squirrel. But I was saying, God, you created that animal, and you gave me this encounter to say, there must be a God. And I worship God. I get, and as I was running away, I just said, thank you, God. 
I ran a little farther on that same path, and I was running. I like to explore and listen to creation and birds and animals, and I'm looking for them. And, and three deer got on the, 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 the path in front of me, and they were running out in front of me on the trail. I was like, here we go. <laughs> God was revealing himself and, and showing off his creation. And as I saw those animals, I was saying, there is a God. You see... When you get lost in the wonder of it, remember who created and stop and worship him right there. Colossians 1, 16 to 17 says this, just turn there in regards to Jesus. And I find it interesting as Paul was trying to describe Jesus and the supremacy of Christ and how he's a sovereign God, fully in control. He describes the supremacy of Christ this way. Look at Colossians 1, verses 15 to 17. It says this. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over creation. And then Paul says this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. For in him all things were what? What's it say? Created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and what? For him. Have you ever wondered what that means? I did this week. I've read that hundreds of times. All things were created through him, by him, and for him. Why was it created for him? Do you think Jesus needed another waterfall? Do you think he needed an extra million stars? Or a good thunderstorm? Or a herd of buffalo running across the pasture? No. The purpose of creation is to point to Jesus all of it. It's create and it's created glory. It is a testimony to the power, the wonder, and the incredible beauty of our Savior. When our kids were small, it wasn't uncommon many, many summer nights to grab a blanket or a sleeping bag, and often we would go and lay it in the driveway of our home, and they loved it, all ages, when they were young, and we would lay on our backs at night, and we would just stargaze together, and then we'd point out stars and say, look, look, look what God made. Like, look, look. And I can remember times when they would say, Dad, Mom, can we go outside and see some more stars? And it wasn't that they were worshiping the stars. It was worship, they were worshiping the God who created the stars. The purpose of creation is to point to Jesus. Like I said, all of it, it's created glory, is a testimony to the power, the wonder, and the incredible beauty of our Savior. A Christian artist that we were familiar with a while back who wrote some beautiful songs, Michael Card, said this in regards to creation on a trip to China. He says, again and again in China, I talked to people who had never heard of Christianity, never heard of Jesus, never heard a single word from the Bible. Yet through nature and their God-given conscience, many believed in God. Not only did they believe God existed, they had derived some understanding about his loving character because he provided food, water, and a beautiful world. 
One old woman told me, I've known him for years. I just didn't know his name. See, men are without excuse because God's invisible qualities and divine nature has been clearly displayed in creation. I suspect, too, that the disciples were stunned repeatedly by the way Jesus could heal the sick, give sight to the blind, or make the lame dance for joy. But when Jesus exercised power over nature, over creation, it terrified them. Nothing displayed his power quite like his power over nature. Just look at the accounts. Each time the storm was there, when Jesus spoke, when they were out on the water and it stopped, it says they were terrified, they were terrified, and he spoke. They had never seen anything like it. They, even when the, the, the sick were healed, nothing terrified them more than the storm. And when Jesus spoke, and the reason he could calm the storm is because he made it with his fingers. It must have shocked the disciples when a few soldiers arrested him and tortured him and crucified him. Did they wonder, why doesn't the God... The man who stopped the storm find a way to escape execution. But soon the world would see that the cross was a place of power too. You see, whatever causes us stress, all of creation points to Jesus and says, give it to him. He's much bigger than anything you're facing. If the work of his fingers is full of wisdom, power, grandeur, majesty, and beauty, what must God himself be like? I love this psalm in Psalm 104. The psalmist here says this in regards to God's creation. Sometimes God just creates, I would say, just to show off. Look at Psalm 104, verses 25 to 26. It says, there is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro. And Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. One translation says, you created Leviathan just for the sport of it. Just because you can. That's our God. You see, the size of your God is directly proportional to the size of your faith. And he gets bigger and bigger and bigger the more time you gaze, ponder, study, and spend in creation, exploring the wonders of God and delighting in it. Be really honest right now. How much time do you do that? How about dads? How much time do you take your kids out in creation? Moms, how often do you take walks with them outside? When is the last time you say, hey, let's walk through the woods together? There's a hymn that was written many years ago, How Great Thou Art. And there's a verse, too, that often gets overlooked and sometimes not even sung. And just listen to this verse. Verse 2 says, when through the woods and the forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul 
my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Oh God, I pray that we'll move beyond our desk this week. I pray that we'll open our back doors and our front doors. I pray that we'll get out of our cars and walk and explore and search the wonders that you have displayed for us in creation. God, get us outside. And may we find you in a fresh way. And may we magnify you, God, the way you intended us to. And may the awe and wonder of God be renewed in our minds and our hearts so that when we walk away or we encounter your creation, we break out into praise singing, how great thou art, how great thou art. In Jesus' name, amen.